Merry Christmas. Uh, we love Christmas time here at Harvest and are so excited that you're here to worship with us today as we kick off our Advent season and series. And so um, we're going to, uh, if, you're, if you're, by the way, if you're a guest with us today, we're really glad that you're here. And if we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that online. If you guys need anything, let us know as well. We want to help you as much as we can today as well. So we're going to grab our Bibles now and continue to, to worship the Lord through the study of His Word. And uh, this year, our Christmas series is called Carols, and the idea behind this series is simply this. We believe here at Harvest that the songs that we sing, the worship that we give to the Lord, it matters, and it matters a lot. And so we're really serious about making sure that the words that we're singing in our songs are uh, correct theology, correct doctrine, aligns themselves with God's words that we are bringing back to Him the truth that He's already given to us. And we've been singing a lot of these Christmas carols we're going to talk about this this through this series, maybe our whole lives. Uh, they're, most of them are very familiar. They're very, you know, kind of, you just do it because that's what you do at Christmas, right? Um, but how much more impactful would these carols be if we maybe looked at God's word and found in God's word the, the meaning behind the words, the meaning behind the lyrics? Where did these songs come from and how do they tie into the Christmas story? And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start today with one of my favorite hymns, or one of my favorite carols, which is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Um, we're, we've seen that one here a couple years now at Harvest, and, and uh, just one that I think is really a neat one that kind of looks at both ends of uh, Jesus' kingdom. And so we're going to look at that together today. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in verse 22. And this is a portion of the Christmas story that maybe is a little less known to some. Uh, It's not a a section that we always necessarily get to when we're reading Christmas stuff, but it's an important piece of who Jesus was and how he came to earth. Um, So I'll let you get there with Luke chapter 2. So as I was thinking about um, Christmas and thinking about the sermon this week, I was reminded, you know, there, there used to be like this really big tradition in families and for kids. I'm not sure how much kids do this anymore today with the internet and all that kind of stuff, but but they used to actually write letters to Santa. Anybody remember writing letters to Santa when you were growing up, right? And you'd, you'd even like put them in the mail and the post office would do something. Um, and, and you would write your letters to Santa. So this is always a big thing. And, and, um, and so I don't know if we really do that as much anymore, but I found this one example of a letter because sometimes the letters are, you know, they're simple and sweet and I want this and I want this and I want this. But sometimes they can kind of take a different turn. So here's one example. One child wrote a letter to Santa which read, Dear Santa... You did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. (laughs) Signed, Alfred. So obviously Alfred had some particular expectations of Santa, right? Like he had some ideas of what it was supposed to look like and how this was supposed to work, and Santa was not making the cut. And it just made me think about expectations and how important they are to how we view life and how we interact with things that come our way. And when we think back to the very first Christmas, when we think back to this time of Jesus' actual birth, the Jewish people of that time, they had some really big expectations of this Messiah that was supposed to be coming to redeem them, to save them, to to bring the kingdom of Israel back into its glory. They had some really great expectations for this Messiah, and they rightly so, because it was promised all through God's word in the Old Testament, that this Messiah was going to come one day to fulfill all these promises of God. And their hope was in that Messiah, that one day he was going to fulfill all that God had promised. 
And when we come to Christmas now, 2,000 years later, it's reassuring to me, and I think it's a good reminder for us, that our, our hope is in the very same Messiah and in the very same promises that God is going to do something and has done something in our lives through Jesus Christ. And it all started with his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas time. So today I want to look at this theme of hope. And simply this, hope is here because Jesus came and is coming. Both and. Hope is here today in our lives, in our church, in our world, because Jesus came 2,000 years ago and because he is still coming again. And we're going to see all of that right here in Luke chapter 2. So let's pick up in verse 22. And it's talking about Mary and Joseph and their family here. And it says, And when the, time for, uh, when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That's Jesus. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and with the parent. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the first thing I want you to see here about hope this morning, hope in Jesus, is this. Find hope in Jesus, our comforter. Find hope in Jesus, our comforter. So this part of the story starts off, and Mary and Joseph are, says that they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem. They're bringing him to the temple because they, he needs to be dedicated. He needs to be consecrated to the Lord. Because the Old Testament law told the Jewish people that every firstborn son of the family belonged to the Lord. Right? It's kind of this whole, again, again, this whole idea of kind of tithing in a sense, that, that their, their best and their first was to go to the Lord, even of their offspring. Right? But God wasn't all into child sacrifice, okay? So they would actually come, and the law said that they were supposed to bring them and consecrate them, and then also redeem them by paying five shekels. So that was the offering that they would give in order to redeem the firstborn son so they could continue to be a part of the family and live forward. Interestingly enough here, Luke doesn't really mention any of those details, does he? He doesn't talk about the five shekels. He doesn't talk about it. Because his emphasis here is not, is not the ceremony. It's not the offering. His emphasis here is Jesus and his current state as a helpless baby. Sometimes it's so strange for us to think about Jesus like that, right? That there was a time where he literally was a newborn infant, just like all of us were, just like our kids were. And that's the state of Jesus right now, is he's being carried by his mother and his father into the temple. And it says they were coming for a time of purification. 
And purification was more for Mary because when uh, you gave birth, it made you unclean. And so after 40 days, it was prescribed that you would come and be purified through this offering of, in this case, they're bringing a sacrifice of two birds. Now, again, if you go back and you read in the Old Testament, Luke doesn't tell us this, but in the Old Testament, the sacrifice for, for purification was actually a lamb, one lamb and one bird. But if you were too poor to afford a lamb, then you could do two birds. So again, Luke doesn't give us all that detail because his emphasis here isn't on the ceremony. It's not on, the, on all the Old Testament law stuff. His emphasis here is on the family. And what he's telling us by pointing out that they brought two birds instead of a lamb is that Jesus came from a poor, humble, everyday kind of family. Right? He didn't come from this rich, prestigious position, just a plain, simple family like everybody else. And so what's interesting is I think Luke's kind of setting us up or setting the Jewish people up for this idea and this question of like, how, how is it possible? How, what comfort can come from this poor, helpless baby with no position, no status? Like, how, how can he possibly bring any comfort to us in our current state of oppression and weakness and struggle? And then Luke introduces this new character named Simeon. Now, I think Simeon's really cool. This is the only place in all of Scripture that Simeon shows up. So we don't really know much about him. He doesn't give us a whole lot of background. We don't know his age. A lot of people think he kind of visualize him as like an older man because of what he's going to say here in a second about being able to move on in peace. But we really don't know. He could have been in his 20s. Um, it, we also, some people think of him as a priest because he's in the temple and because he's going to say this blessing over Jesus, but it never tells us that he's a priest. Maybe he's not a priest at all. Maybe he's just in the temple because what we do know about him, the only thing that Luke tells us is that he's righteous and devout. And Luke doesn't tell us anymore because really, in God's eyes, that's enough. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to reach a certain level. You just have to be righteous and devout and committed to the Lord for him to use you and for him to bless you. So Simeon here, he comes onto the scene, and he's righteous and a devout man. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I had, to, I had to look consolation up. We don't really use that word a lot. But the Greek here behind the word consolation really means this idea of hope. All right? He was waiting for the hope of the Lord. Actually, this, this phrase here, consolation of Israel, was a specific phrase that was used throughout Jewish literature at the time, talking not of just any hope, but the hope of the coming Messiah. So it's telling us here, Luke's telling us, he specifically, he's waiting for the hope that's going to come in this Messiah that comes from God and to save his people and to rescue them and to redeem them. And he's just been longing and expecting and waiting for this Jesus to come, or for this Messiah to come. He didn't know his name was Jesus yet. But then it gives us this other little insight into Simeon that I think is really cool as well. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, first of all, if you know anything about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, other places he's called the comforter, which is kind of a cool tie-in. 
But here specifically, what I think is interesting about Simeon is that this was a very rare occurrence, right? Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit to all of his people until after he ascended into heaven. So for the Holy Spirit to show up and be upon someone's life prior to, his, prior to Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, that was a really big deal. That didn't happen a lot. Like, that means that God's like put his hand on you for some special purpose and reason. So the Holy Spirit is not only upon him, but it had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. How many people, how many pastors, how many generations have prayed and hoped and longed that they would see Jesus' return to earth before they died? You know what I'm talking about? And none of us have that promise. We just have to wait and see whenever God's timing is. But Simeon had that promise that he would not die until he had seen Christ's first coming. And it says, on this day, he came in the Spirit. Some of your translations might even say that he was led by the Spirit into the temple. On this day, to this place, to this couple, so that he could see Jesus. Because God always fulfills his promises. So he leads Simeon in, and Simeon sees the baby, and he knows immediately who he is, and he picks him up, and he starts to sing or say this song, this lyric, if you will, to the Lord. And he says this, Lord, you are letting me depart in peace. In other words, you're letting me depart with comfort of soul. That's kind of the, the idea there behind peace in that phrase. Right? Finally, his waiting is over. All these years, all this time of waiting on the Lord to come and waiting on the Messiah, and, waiting, and finally he is here. His greatest desire has been fulfilled. He got to see the Messiah. That's where his hope was. That's where his comfort was. He even says here to, to God, he says, I have seen your salvation of all peoples. In other words, now I know. Now I know everything's going to be okay. Now I know it's all good because I have seen the manifestation of your hope for your people with my own eyes. Jesus, when he came, when he was born, he fulfilled God's promise of comfort and hope for his people that had been documented multiple times throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you just a couple examples of this. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, and her warfare, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And this is a messianic passage here. In fact, the next verses after that are the verses that talk about the voice will come in the wilderness, which is the, the prediction, the prophecy of John the Baptist. It's going to be the precursor to the Messiah. And so God's saying there's this time coming where I'm going to send a comfort to you that's going to wash away your sins. It's going to save you from all that you are. Another section in Isaiah 61, 
Verses one and two says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is why Jesus came. He came to bring comfort and hope to all those who were lost without him. And what's great is Jesus still does this today. Jesus still comforts all who turn to him in faith and are saved from their sin. And Jesus is near them and he is with them and he comforts them through their hardships and their trials and their struggles in life. All of Israel was looking ahead, hoping, expecting, waiting for their comfort. And now we, 2,000 years later, have the blessing of not having to look forward and wait, but to look back and to remember that God has already come to earth and comfort is already here if we will turn to him. So we like to watch a lot of movies around our house. This time of the year is the Christmas movie season, so we've got a whole stack on our mantle that we're just kind of working our way through uh, over the next month here. But we were watching another different movie not long ago that Courtney really loves. It's a, one of these chick flick movies that she's really into. And so uh, we're watching this movie, and uh, in this particular one, there's this family strife going on, right? And so you've got a father and his grown son who are at it, man. They're just constantly fighting, and they're, they're, they're just tearing each other apart, and they're, and they're just tearing the family apart. And it's just constant tension, big problem. And grandma's still on the scene. And so there's this one section where the guys are fighting, and grandma, she all of a sudden, like, collapses with some type of heart problem. And so they're all freaking out because they all love grandma, obviously. So they scoop her up, and they're trying to take her to the hospital, and they, they are going to life flight her there. So they load her into the helicopter, and they're flying her to the hospital, and dad's there, and the son's there. And, and grandma finally musters up enough strength to kind of pull down the, the oxygen mask and say her kind of last words, you know, to, to dad and to son. And she turns to them, and she, with all she can muster, she says, love each other. Stop fighting. You're tearing the family apart. You're, this is not worth, like, just love each other. And, of course, they have this great breakthrough moment, right? And they're all like, oh, I love you. And they, and they, they make up, and they're like, all right, we'll do better. We're not going to do this anymore. And so she's like, all right, now I can go in peace. And she kind of closes her eyes. And then a couple seconds later, she's like, oh, I guess it's not my time. All right, turn it around, Sonny. Go back to the airport. She was totally faking the whole thing just to get dad and son to, like, do their thing, right? But that's one of those deathbed wishes, right? That's, that's the kind of stuff, in all seriousness, that's the kind of stuff that people actually ask for in those last moments of life, right? They ask to see that loved one that they haven't seen in a long time. They give their charges to care for one another and love one another, and, and they, they, they look to get right with the Lord if they haven't done that yet. You know what they don't ask for? They don't ask to see one more ball game. They, 
They don't ask to get one more night out on the town and live it up. They don't ask to go to work and make one more sale. Because they've come to understand that all those things, as great as they are at times, they don't bring any lasting comfort for your soul. Only Jesus does that. Simeon gets that. Simeon understands that his greatest comfort only lies in the Lord. What if that was true of us? What if Jesus was our greatest comfort every day? Every moment, every Christmas, not the family traditions, as great as those are, and I love those, not the presents that we love to give and we love to get, not the lights or the trees or the food, oh, the food. What if all those things were good, but they weren't our greatest comfort because we were finding our greatest comfort in the only one who can give comfort for our soul? Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Come That Long Expected Jesus is talking about when he writes these lyrics. He says, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Jesus is our only hope for lasting comfort. So the first thing we need to know about hope is that we find hope in Jesus, our comforter. But there's more. Go with me back to verse 26 again. It says, And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now go down to verse 29 where he starts praising God. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then he goes on, it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. That's Mary and Joseph. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that, th so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Second thing I want you to see here about hope. Find hope. In Jesus, our Savior. He's not only our comforter. We find hope because he is also our Savior. And that's what's being emphasized here in this section. It says that the Holy Spirit calls him the Lord's Christ. Now, this is always an interesting thing. We talk about Jesus Christ a lot. And that can kind of sometimes sound like Christ is his last name. But it's actually not his last name. It's actually a title. And so it would probably actually be more accurate for us to call him Jesus the Christ. Because Christ actually means anointed one. Christ means uh, Messiah. 
It, it was a title used to describe the one who would come to save his people, to redeem them, and to, to rescue them from sin. And so when he says he was going to see the Lord's Christ, he knew what he was talking about. He knew what, what the Holy Spirit was saying, that you were going to see the Messiah, the Savior. In fact, later on when he's talking to God, he calls Jesus, he says, I have seen your salvation. Because Jesus is God's chosen gift of salvation to the world. The reason he sent him was to be salvation for us. That's why he is our greatest hope. He says, he is, I have seen your salvation for all peoples. Now this is revolutionary, right? No longer was the Messiah just for the Jews. No, no, no. Now he has come for everyone. And just to make sure Simeon, under, just to make sure we understood what Simeon was saying, he goes on to say that he will be a light to the Gentiles. Light meaning revelation. That he was going to reveal God and who God was to the Gentiles. This was the first time ever that that happened. Up to this point, God's word was written all in Hebrew. And most Gentiles didn't speak Hebrew. They did not have a revelation of God before Christ came. But now he's come to reveal to the Gentiles. That's to us, by the way. I think most of us here. If you're Jewish, then that's not you. But the rest of us, that's us. A light to the Gentiles, but also glory to Israel. This is an important thing that we don't want to miss in the midst of all of it. And we love to celebrate that Jesus came for everyone. But he came from the Jews. Paul says that salvation is from the Jews. Because way back when, when God first chose the Jewish people to be his own, he made a promise to Abraham that one day, one of Abraham's offspring would bless the entire world. All the families, all the nations of the world. And Jesus... His coming is the fulfillment of that promise. This humble little baby, born to no-name parents in a barn, is the long-expected Savior of the world. And Simeon knew it. The Holy Spirit told him. And so he starts to prophesy to Mary and Joseph, and he says this to Mary, he says, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Now, what he's meaning there is he's talking about two different groups. And you see this play out as you read through the Gospels, right? That there was, a, there was one group in Israel that were these religious, self-righteous, puffed up, we figured it out. We know how to do this. We, we earn our way to God with X, Y, and Z. And if you do it like us, then all's good. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, they stumble and they fall over him, over the Messiah, and they fall from the grace of God and they miss salvation. But there was another group. There were many in Israel who knew that they didn't have their stuff together. <laughs> they knew they were sinners. They knew that they needed someone to save 
them because they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't do it. They weren't good enough. And that group, when they found the Messiah, when they witnessed the resurrection, they rose to him in faith. And they experienced the grace of God flood their life. And the church of God was born. He says, many will fall, many will rise, and a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce Mary's soul. So he might not have known all the specifics here, but Simeon now is prophesying that there's coming an event in the life of Jesus where this Messiah, this great one, is going to be opposed, and it's going to be so strong that it's going to pierce Mary's soul. And if you've ever talked with a parent who's lost their child, they will tell you there is no greater pain to the heart and the soul. Simeon here is prophesying that a crucifixion is coming. That this baby that was born, this Messiah that we've been waiting for, that we've been expecting, it's awesome, but this is all headed somewhere. This all has an end already written, and that ends at the cross. At least temporarily. And this is why Christmas is so important because Christmas is the beginning of the gospel. That just like some of these Jews who knew they were sinners, who knew they were far from God, who knew they couldn't fix it, all of us are in the same boat. We are stuck in our sin. We are walking in rebellion against God and we can't fix it and we can't get there and we can't solve this sin problem in our hearts. Only God can do that and he knew that and so he sent his son, his only son, Jesus, to come and to be born as a helpless baby in a manger, flesh and bone like you and me. But he wasn't like you and me because he went on to live a perfect life and sinless life. He was righteous and devout. Interestingly enough, the same way Simeon was described, but to perfection. And at the end of his life, he willingly chose to go to the cross and to die for our sins in our place. And he was crucified and he was buried, but then three days later, he rose back to life. And everything he proved, that everything said about him was true. That he was God. That he conquered sin and death. And that he had returned now to reign on high as the Savior of the world. And he offers each one of us what Simeon says right here. Salvation. To be saved from our sins if we will put our hope and our trust in him. Him alone. Jesus' birth, his first Advent is merely the opening of God's perfect, sovereign plan for our salvation. We have hope today because Jesus was born to save. Let me give you some scriptures that drive this home. Later on in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says about himself, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. That's why he came. That's why he was born. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Or how about John 3.16? Maybe the most famous verse in all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then it goes on to 17 and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the reason he came. This is the reason he was sent. This is why Jesus was born, to be a Savior for us. That's why we have hope today. In 1988... There was a young girl named Anissa Alea. She was 16 years old at the time, and she was diagnosed with a very rare form of leukemia. The doctors were working on her, and they um, said that if she did not receive a bone marrow transplant immediately following her chemotherapy and radiation, that she most likely would indeed die. The problem was neither her parents nor her brother were a match. And they searched around, they searched around, but they could not find another match. And so her parents, now in their 40s, decided to have another child in hopes that that child would be a match. So nine months later, Marissa Alea was born, and much to their joy, she was indeed a match for her sister. And so at 14 months old, they took some of her bone marrow and they gave it to Anissa, and Anissa made a full recovery from leukemia, and both daughters are now living full lives today. In a very real sense, Marissa saved Anissa's life. She says this, she says, without me being a perfect match for my sister, she would not be here today. And just like that, in a very real way, Jesus was born to save us. It's the reason he came, to be the Savior of the world. And so at Christmas, we celebrate his incarnation because he is our only hope for salvation. Again, the author of the song writes it this way. He says, come Thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Jesus is our only hope for eternal salvation. Only hope. So we have hope in his him in Jesus our comforter hope in Jesus our savior but then there's one more i want you to see go back to verse 26 one more time it says and it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before the lord's christ i want to use that phrase there again the lord's christ to show you one more aspect of jesus our hope and that is this find hope in jesus our ruler jesus our ruler 
So again, the Lord's Christ, that's a title, and the Christ stands for Messiah, and it's known by the Jews throughout their literature that the Messiah was not just going to be a savior, but the Messiah was going to be a king. The Messiah was going to be a ruler, right? He was going to come back to rule, in fact, an eternal kingdom for God. In Genesis 49.10, we have this prophecy. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So again, many, many years ago, in the Jewish line, the line of Judah, it was prophesied, it was promised that there would become a king, there would come a ruler whose scepter shall not depart from him. That he would reign eternally as king. Now, this was pre the Davidic kinghood, right? Before David was king. And if you know anything about Jewish history or if you read the Old Testament, you know, like David was like the apex of Israel, right? Like he was like, his, when he was king, life was good, right? Like he was the top. And so they thought that his line, his, it's true, it's going to be David and all his sons forever will be on this throne. That's what that means. They thought it had been fulfilled in his family. But then the exile came, and there was no more Davidic king, and there was nobody else on the throne from Judah until many, many hundreds of years later, Jesus is born. If you look at his genealogy, he's born in the line of David, in the line of Judah, to bring in a whole new kingdom that he would reign eternally and so this prophecy gets fulfilled partially at Jesus' birth. And here's why I say partially. When we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about the kingdom that Jesus has brought to earth, we have this phrase in theological circles that helps us understand and describe it, that the kingdom is already, but not yet. All right, kind of sounds like something Yoda would say, right? Like, the kingdom is already, but not yet. And what it means by that is this. It's already been inaugurated, it was already started at Jesus' first coming, but it is not yet complete. It's already been achieved by his birth, death, resurrection, but it is not yet fulfilled. There's still something else that's coming that's going to bring the fulfillment and the totality of God's kingdom to earth. But here's something that's really important for us to know, friends, as Christians, as followers of Christ. The fulfillment of his kingdom is never dependent on you or me. It's not when we pray more. It's not when we have greater faith. It's not when we do more evangelism, when we finally reach that last. No, we don't. It's not dependent on us because it's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom. And yes, we are to work and we are to labor and we are to follow him until he comes again in his glory to fulfill his kingdom. But we have no control over how that happens or what that looks like. It's his kingdom. It's fully dependent on him because he is the king. And so what do we do? We do what the Jews did. We wait and we hope and we expect that he's coming Again, look at Revelation 5, 9 through 10. 
says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So this is in Revelation. This is kind of, again, a prophecy that John was given, looking ahead to what was going to happen in the future. But what I want you to notice here is even in the future, how are they talking about Jesus? It says, notice they say, you were slain, that you ransomed by your blood. All past tense, meaning Jesus has already done these things. He's already achieved them as the inauguration of his kingdom. So it's already been started through his birth, life, death, resurrection, this new kingdom, this new covenant. He goes on to say that you made them a kingdom, you made them priests. Again, past tense. Because currently, right now, despite everything else going on around us, despite all the craziness of governance and politics and across our world right now, I'm not talking about just America, I'm talking about across the world right now, if you look at the big picture, it's nuts. But despite all of that, we are under the reign of King Jesus. It's already started right now. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne, ruling with his feet up. It's not even difficult for him. Another verse of Revelation eleven fifteen says it this way. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now this one's a little bit different because if you've ever read Revelation or if you know anything about this, once you get to the seventh trumpet, like, it's going down, right? Like, this is like, Jesus is coming back in his glory. It's signaling the the coming return and reign of Christ on the earth. And he says here, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of Christ. Because at Jesus' second return, at his second advent, he will come again and finish what he started. He will fulfill and complete his kingdom in its glory and its greatness. And it says, he shall reign forever and ever. And we, his people, shall reign with him, and we will be with him, and he will be our great and glorious king. And because that is true, because that promise is still waiting for us, today we are filled with hope. Again, the songwriter says this. He says, Born thy people to deliver Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Oh, we wait for that day. Jesus is our only hope for future glory. When we think about life after death, when we think about what's next for us, the only hope we have is him. In all of his glory, in all of his splendor. 
But there's one more thing I want you to see about hope from this passage. So we've seen Jesus is our, com- hope and our, Jesus is our comforter, our savior, our ruler. But then I want to show you one more character here. Look back in Luke chapter 2, look at verse 36. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The last thing we need to know about hope today, friends, is this. Share hope with others. This hope that we have in Jesus, it's not just for us. We have to share it with everyone else around us. Look at what Anna does. She comes up, she sees, she sees the Messiah, she sees Jesus. She's been praying, she's been worshiping all this time. And she began to give thanks to God. To give thanks for his grace, to give thanks for his faithfulness. That yes, the Messiah had come, the birth of Jesus. She had seen it with her own eyes. And she gave thanks. Ask yourself this question. How will I show others my thankfulness for the hope of Jesus this Christmas? How are they going to see it in you? Man, I am so, so thankful that God sent his son. But does anybody ever know it? Does anybody ever see it in my life? Christmas is a great time to show that. But Anna doesn't stop with thankfulness. Look what she does next. It says, And she went to speak of him to all who were waiting for redemption. As Christians, those of you who've already put your faith in Jesus, here's the really cool thing. We're not waiting anymore. We've already been redeemed. It's already been done. Our names have been written in the book of life. We have been redeemed. But there are plenty around us who are still waiting for their redemption, whether they know it or not. They need what we have. And so we need to speak of him just like Anna. Second question, how will I tell others of the hope of Jesus this Christmas? How will you share what you have with those who need it most? Hope is here because Jesus came and is coming. It's both, right? The faithful people of God have always longed and waited for the coming of the Messiah. They've always been looking and expecting Jesus. And so today, yes, we celebrate the wonderful miracle of his birth every single year. We look back and we thank God and we praise God, but we also continue to wait and to expect his second coming with hope that we're going to be with him forever and ever. We celebrate And we wait expectedly, 
with hope. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Stand. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing this carol today. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you, God, for... We thank you for Christmas. We thank you, God, that that you sent your son to have, to bring hope to a lost and dying world. Lord, that you did not hesitate to spare your own so that we can be saved, so that we can be comforted, so that we can have a place to go in eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for ushering hope in for all mankind. You gave us the greatest gifts in his coming to earth. Comfort, security, salvation, hope. Without Jesus, without his coming, Lord, we would have nothing. We would be lost. We would be destined for death. So, Lord, we remember this season, this Christmas, we remember and we celebrate his first coming and we look with great expectation for his second. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence with us, Lord. We worship you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.